I'm super excited to introduce you my first ever episode of my brand new podcast, Mise en Place. My name is Thomas Jefferson Lipko, and I am your host. And we will be delving into to the history of the culinary world. I have been wanting to do this for for a good good while now. I think fear has really held me back from from exploring the depths of this. I think just fear of my own failure. So uh, I'm I'm taking the the first step into this into this journey, and I'm super excited to bring you guys with me. I'm going to bring you a term of the day, a little history lesson on the topic that that we're going to be discussing that day, and then I'm going to give you a recipe or a technique that pertains to uh, what we're talking about. Man, all right, let's get into it. The, the term of the, the day today is going to be the title of the podcast, mise en place. It's a French term. It means set in place. And that usually pertains to you know your ingredients uh, already prepared. You know things that have to be peeled, they're already peeled. Things that need to be chopped or diced or sliced or brunoid, they're already in the final stage that they need to be in. That is the rawest that they can be, with so that it can be the freshest that it can be as you're putting it into um, you know whatever recipe you're utilizing that in. And you do that so that you can do quantity with quality you know any restaurant is going to have you know every person is going to have their own mise en place list but mise en place is more than just an uh, an ingredient list or a set of of ingredients for you to like do your entire service and and be ready and prepared it's it's also you know a pot of boiling water if you need it maybe it's a pot or pan or a knife that cutting board, or that weird shaped bowl that gives you that perfect portion. Uh, that's what your mise en place is. And then, you know, just for this podcast and for how I think about it, when I think of mise en place, I also think that you have to have the knowledge of what you're doing ready, like readily available inside of your mind. Like you are, you are set up and you are ready, not just physically, but also mentally. You are prepared, you know, drink some water or you know you're fed it's like all of that pertains to the mise en place like your set in place knowledge that is how to effectively go about making that recipe like how many times have you made it before if never like you know maybe double check recheck quadruple check um, your quantities what's actually there is it salt is it sugar we've all made that mistake don't don't lie to me uh, and so this is like mentally preparing yourself for the next step, the next level, the next gain of knowledge that's going to make you know your product just a little bit better. Because every time you make something, I mean, you're going to tweak it a little bit uh, just to see if this will work or that will work. You know, on top of that, your ingredients by themselves are going to change. So everything is is just kind of up in the air and it's how you're utilizing the knowledge that you have inside of your brain to make it the best that it can possibly be. You know, the the changes aren't so drastic that it's going to be like different, super different every time. But, you know, we'll get into that too. So that to me is what mise en place, like that's what it stands for. And I named this podcast Mise en Place because I want to further my knowledge into a whole 
mess of new cuisines and styles that I might not have thought about prior. So remember to get your mise en place ready when you're going to start your cooking adventures. Have everything set up so it happens quickly, clean, you know, be precise, be extra. It's so much more fun and everything just tastes a little bit better. Trust me. Trust me. Okay, with the term of the day out of the way, and I'm a poet, uh, we're going to get into the first episode and that is going to delve into the history of salt. Okay, well, let's get into the, the, the fun facts of salt. Because, I mean, realistically, it shaped the modernization of civilization. It is so cool how many things that kind of tied together in my research about salt. And uh, I'm pretty stoked to tell you about them. So first off, I guess we're going to talk about like what is salt. Salt is a, it's a compound made up of sodium and chloride ions. And uh, all life that we know of depends on it to survive in some form or fashion. Like specifically for humans, it's, it's a necessity. It is what keeps our like our cellular structure, every single cell in your body has some form of sodium in it or a part of it. Uh, it helps like regulate your, you know, your, your water content levels inside of your body. You know, you're 72% water and that is what helps regulate that. It helps your muscles like move correctly. It helps your nervous system fire at the rate in, in, in which it's supposed to. So now I guess the the next question you ask is you know when was it discovered you know salt has been around for you know forever we didn't make it It, it's just out there so when did we realize that it was something that we could use or utilize and uh you know when i when i did the googles and the wikipedias um i found a bunch of different answers of course that's always what happens but a couple of them were pretty consistent. Egypt is the most consistent. But I do know that in Egypt, they found it in a riverbed system or streambed system, and that's how it was discovered. And it was utilized mostly for you know mummification. It was used for religious reasons, and only through that did they finally like figure out through a little experimentation that you know you could preserve food with it, which was like life altering at the time. But literally at the exact same time, which is the time period that we're talking about is like 6,000 BC. So this is a long time ago. So the exact same time in the 6,000 BC time period, the Chinese had found it in a, in a lake bed, in a, you know, in a tributary. And so, you know, before we get any further, I'm going to talk about like the two ways in which we get salt nowadays. And it's actually a a couple of the ways that were described in an ancient Chinese text, like they were using it back then. But it's, you know, your two forms of salt. You have rock salt, which comes from the ground. You're going to mine it. You're going to chip it out of the earth with a, you know, with a little pickaxe and, and a bag to collect it with. That's, that's pretty valuable stuff, especially at the time. Or 
you you know you have a a brine or a solution that is water filled with a bunch of sodium chloride which is you know the oceans the seas stuff like that and so what you do is you capture this in a pool and you let the sun you know evaporate out the water and what's left over is your salt content that's your your sodium chloride which is you know what you're going to use to to cook with and preserve your foods and and do all that which is honestly the the way that I think you know these people found this stuff either in a in the stream beds or in the lake tributaries or wherever it's just like the sun has evaporated out some moisture and left behind the salt content i also found that uh, hunters and gatherers and nomadic people would occasionally follow animals to to find these salt sources because they can find you know mineral deposits that are just kind of out and about then those nomadic people would utilize that salt for um they would mine it and use it for you know preservation in their own ways but that's going to lead into the whole next part of this is that food preservation whether it was first made by the egyptian people or the you know the chinese people at the time doesn't really matter it it changed how we like modernized our civilization it's mind-boggling knowing that okay we we were pretty much nomadic um for for as much as i can understand you know you could only have a tribe of so many people because you're relying on the fact that you know you can only gather and hunt so much food at a time you know it rots at a very specific rate so you have to consume it at that same rate so that it doesn't get like turned rancid or bad and so you're not getting illnesses from it um so on and so forth so now you at you're adding food preservation just that alone can double, triple, quadruple, you know, quintuple your your population size because now you can save bundles of food for people. You can you can you can now travel long long way longer distances with this food. So now you have a a new source of income to people outside of the possible range of where that food comes from. That by itself is really really interesting because of you know just the intricacies of what like that led into what we do now with food and like how we've like oh it's unfathomable uh, at this point uh, honestly but that like sets up the whole next thing that I'm going to talk about so even beyond like the food structures that we're we're now just starting to make and build and understand and think about comes like the Chinese side of it. Yes, they were doing food preservation just like uh, the Egyptians, but the Egyptians you were, were using it a little more religiously. I actually think our salt is based off of a lot of religious context. You know, the Bible has talked about it. I don't know, it's like 30-something times it brings it up. You know, it's, it's meant to be something pure or holy or uh, X, Y, and Z. So you know, that's pretty common in in back in the day using it for religious reasons you know egyptians for mummification and so on and so forth but the chinese were using it for something completely different which is really really interesting you know they were making uh saltpeter with it which is something that you utilize to make gunpowder and so you know with the same compound that they that they made to like 
figure out the preservation of food and how to like lengthen the time that you now it, 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 it that they can have a larger quantity of food like they're now they're also modernizing the dynamic of war which you know as we understand now is what you know really pushes a lot of cultures forward and you know tears a lot of cultures down but i mean in terms of like um, scientific e- uh, evolutions as we progress, war is a big one that pushes it forward. And so knowing that you know salt is one of the main contributors to something that we still use today just kind of gets me like thinking a little bit further into it. Like if we didn't have salt, you know, where would we be? Like it's so much fun to think about in, in these terms, in these ways. Uh, you know, we have, like I said before, we have this preservation system that's like gaining you all this stuff uh, that is really positive and really beautiful and really amazing. Like you can, you know, you can help people that could possibly be starving over like long distances and long periods of time. But you also have, you know, the making of, of firearms and cannons and, you know, even, you know, for other uses, it's like the, the ancient Romans would salt the earth and destroy the soil so that their, you know, uh, their, their, the people that they were fighting couldn't even grow crops for many, many years after that. Like, that is insane. Um, you know, salt was pretty interestingly um, a currency, actually, in ancient Rome. Uh, we get... Um, like the word salary comes from the fact that they would pay Roman soldiers in salt, and that was you know the it, it was so valuable that it was it was a an actual currency. Um, I've read in a couple places that uh, gold was equal in weight to salt. Uh, salt and gold were were the same uh, equalness, which is like that's that's so crazy to me. Uh, thinking about that and and knowing that it's like you know I've I've dumped bags of salt on the road uh, or in you know the driveway to melt melt the uh, the ice which you know forty four percent of the the salt in America goes to just melting ice on roads so it went from you know a world currency and like the stepping stones that make up like modern civilization and warfare and so on and so forth it even like delves into our language but now we just dump it on the road because it's so easy for us to obtain now super super cool all right so i think i'm gonna wrap up the the history of salt with uh what we have if you're interested in in more in knowing more i i literally just scratched the sur- the surface um there's so much history out there please please look it up delve a little further about which countries were shaped by it how like certain uh, roads were created just for the transportation of things that were salted and foods and as of right now i'm going to get to the the last section of this podcast And I hope you guys have enjoyed it so far, but now we're going to get into uh, some recipes and techniques to use with salt. So here we go. You can just go a little bit extra. And this is by far one of my favorite things to cook. It is... It's a a pretty common thing that I've, I've utilized within my private chef stuff. Let's get into it. The first thing that you want to do is you want to get some egg whites. 
and you're going to, you know, usually you want egg whites in this regard to be at room temperature, but it's not a necessity. It's just easier, better quality of fluffing oa. You're going to whip them. You're going to whip them to their hard peak status, which is, you know, when you when you whip, uh, lift up the whisk and you see the 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 fluffed up egg whites come up, they stay in in form. They don't actually fall back down into their egg white status. Um, so they're, they're that kind of fluffy. And you're going to mix in just a ton of salt. Um, the same uh, coarse kosher salt that we talked about earlier. And then what you do is you take a lamb shoulder, which should probably be brined for, you know, 6 to 12 hours is probably ideal. But if you don't have time to brine it, you don't have time to brine it. That's totally fine. I think brining it adds a a nice moisture, a good balance of acidity to the meat that's just going to be, you know, um, bombarded by this salty excursion. And so then at that point, what you do is you take your your lamb, you know, you rinse it, dry it off, and you stick it in whatever thing that you're going to bake it in. Um, hotel pan, you know, one of those glass baking pans, uh, uh, anything that's that can hold also like any, uh, up past its, like the meat. Because essentially you're going to be making a salt meringue. So you whip these egg whites, you fold in a ton of salt, and then um, I like to chop up herbs and fold that in as well. But for how many, how much herbs you're going to use for this anyways, it's not, it's not really a necessity. It's not going to add a huge variant of flavor because uh, you'll see. We'll get to the, the herbs here in a second. But the reality is, you know, at, at this point you want the the lamb shoulder or whatever it is that you're going to be cooking for a long period of time to uh, be fully submerged in this egg white and salt thing, like all the way around it and over it. It needs to cover it completely. And then when you bake it, it's going to expand pretty dramatically, kind of like a souffle, and then it'll, you know, sink back down. But you want to cook that at, you know, 250 for like, three hours two and a half to three hours that's that's pretty ideal until the the meat can like you can pull it apart with a fork is essentially what you're going for and so as soon as that's done you know you pull the meat off the off the bone uh pull it apart you know do all that stuff let it cool down but it's much easier to pull it apart when it's um when it's still pretty warm um get rid of all of the egg white meringue stuff even like rinse off the the lamb, if you have to, uh, it, it is very, 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 very salty at this point. And that's why we're going to do the next several steps. So the next thing you need to do is you need to chiffonade a, a whole mess of herbs, um, the exact same amount of herbs that you have meat. Like I like to do equal parts herbs and equal parts pulled lamb. I do, um, you know, chiffonade basil. I do a little bit of uh, oregano. I like to do... Um, you know, just a little bit of sage, a, a good bit of basil and a good bit of uh, parsley, a little bit of cilantro. If you don't like cilantro, like I'm, I'm not a huge cilantro fan, but sometimes it, it really does add a nice freshness that you can't get like from anything else. So adding a little cilantro, I do add a little bit of cilantro to it and then roll that up, chop it up and, you know, utilize that as a like a 50-50 to your meat, and then mix it all together. Um, and that's going to cut that saltiness a lot. 
with a really nice herby freshness that's just it it kind of it just pops it's really really delightful and then you know a, a, a nice big thick cut of like sourdough bread and uh, toast it you know whether it be on a grill or in an oven or a broiler it really doesn't matter how you toast the bread it can even be in a toaster oven then spread goat cheese across the top of it take your lamb and herb mixture put that on top of the goat cheese you know to whatever thickness you want i i put like you know an inch thick and then i like to take a white balsamic uh vinegar reduction and uh pour that over uh just to add a nice like balance to that saltiness that freshness that creaminess that crunch uh, and then, you know, pomegranate seeds always do really well for color, aesthetic, like flavor. Like that is the perfect appetizer or, you know, instead of a salad, have that toast, the lamb toast. It is phenomenal. Um, and that is today's uh, recipe that pertains to salt. Only a little bit, um, but, you know, it's the cooking of the meat, which is only part of the process only a little little piece of the process humans how much fun uh it was to just blather on about um you know the fun facts that i got to learn about salt and getting to share you know the histories and the dynamics with you guys um let's do this again next week uh follow me on instagram that'd be pretty cool it's at Thomas Lipko. You know, you can check out all of my my uh, food art pictures and all the things that I love to make, and follow my journey as uh, as a professional private chef. I hope that you guys tune in either in a few days for my Japanese episode or in in a week for this Japanese episode. It might be broken into a couple parts. You know, I still got some research to do. So I guess at this point. I'll talk to you guys later.